Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We worked with crypto brokerage Paxos to create a podcast series about the mainstreaming of crypto, the genesis of Paxos, the rise of stablecoins, and crypto's energy and environmental impact. Alongside the mainstreaming of crypto are concerns about the impact of its mining on the environment. While a significant amount of crypto is mined with renewable sources like solar and hydro, much of it still relies on non-renewable carbon dioxide-emitting sources. For the final episode of this series, we spoke with Paxo CEO Charles Cascarilla about the truth behind the concerns, the relationship between economy and energy, and what he learned from building his own crypto mining firm. We had just really kind of done it uh almost as a, as a hobby. Um, when we came across Bitcoin is at three or four cents. And so those were early days. The network was small and um, uh, we were able to do it on uh, CPUs. And then we upgraded to GPUs and we had motherboards and um, it was a really fascinating time. And it gave you a real ability to understand what was happening uh, because there were so few people on the network, so few that we were with just CPUs, 20 or 25% of the mining capacity, um, you know, kind of just having fun with it. Of course, we also bought some uh, Bitcoin as well. And um, uh, the idea had been to get an understanding of what was the underlying principle here. And I think that gets to a key point. Different cryptos are set up in different ways. And um, you know, some of them use what is called proof of work. And that is essentially around using uh, some energy source to be able to prove algorithms. And some are set up in a different way where it's a, a proof of stake. And that's not necessarily about using a large amount of electricity. It's about um, holding an asset in order to um, be able to approve transactions. Different ways of effectively trying to solve um, a problem, which is how do you make sure that you can have a system that is decentralized, which is to say that nobody runs the system itself. It's run uh, communally. And then if it's run communally, how do you make sure that you can come into an agreement around what should be in the database? And so there's a cryptographic way of doing that. And so you want to be able to have anybody be able to join you, yet you don't want to have anyone who's running it. And you want to make sure that it's always on and that there's one version that people trust. This is very complex to do and actually an unbelievable innovation uh, that was made possible by figuring out how to use cryptographic algorithms to create um, a, uh, a single source of truth over time. Bitcoin is based on proof of work, meaning complex math problems are solved by computers to prevent anyone from gaming the system. This relies on energy usage, tying Bitcoin directly to the environment. And as Bitcoin usage goes up, more and more energy is required to keep up. The reason this is uh, maybe sometimes a difficult concept for people is that it becomes, well, are we just wasting energy? You know, are we all just digging a hole and then filling it back in again uh, and then digging another hole and filling it back in again? Is that really productive? And so I think there's really two questions that become very important um, when trying to answer this. The first is, uh, where are we getting our energy from? Is it clean? Is it dirty? Is it coal? Is it you know, renewables, uh, is it, uh, you know, satellites in space that are, um, uh, which I'm sure will happen that are uh, collecting solar energy. 
um, you know, you know wh where are we getting our energy from? And then the second thing is, how should we use our energy? Should we use the energy um, to dig gold out of the ground? Should we use it to have heated floors in our bathroom? Should we use it to power our cars? Um, uh, or should we use it to have a decentralized asset um, and a decentralized financial system? And so these are important questions that we should ask. The truth is that our everyday lives rely on incredible amounts of energy. From our morning coffee to our computers. The reason Bitcoin is standing at the forefront of the environmental threat, perhaps, is because the relationship of server farms to energy consumption is obvious to the eye. Everything in the economy is energy. It's a thermodynamic system. You put energy in, you have useful work, you get something, and you get waste. And how do you know whether you want to have a car, or you want to go to college, or you want to go on a vacation, or you want to put on an addition to your house? How do you make these trade-offs? How do you consume something today? Or how do you save and consume it in the future? Well, you know, the way to do that in a complex economy is through money, which should just be energy. Because guess what? Your car is just energy. Um, you know, it took a lot of energy to basically bend all the metal and produce it. But it, fundamentally, it's just energy and it depreciates over time. And so is your house and everything else. Everything is energy. Everything which fuels our society including fiat money, depends on the production, extraction, use, and waste of energy. And so it's important to remember the history of currency and why it's always been, and always should be, about energy. Money is just a fungible form of energy. I think that's an important distinction of what money really is, because oftentimes it's really lost. Oh, money is this magical thing, uh, or I've heard it described as it's a bubble that never pops. Uh, that's what money is. But it's not really that. Money is that is energy just like the rest of the economy. And since the economy is about taking energy and turning it into useful items, um, you, one of the useful items is the transmission mechanism of what you should do in the economy. And that's why you want money to be tied to energy very clearly, because then there, you know what the trade-off is between one thing and something else. And historically, money has been energy. That was gold. Gold basically has held its value because you use the marginal amount of energy to get out of the ground equals, you know, basically um, uh, work, useful work that can be done and it can be spent on something else. And um, we eventually decided we wanted to replace gold with fiat money. And that's fine. We've done that many times in our history uh, as a civilization. It always has failed historically 100% of the time because you are no longer tied to energy you're tied to a political process. And that political process inevitably um, is going to be geared towards not maintaining its tied energy, but around making political choices. And political choices usually favor spending more money than you have. And so you no longer tie your money to energy and eventually it devalues. And that's what really inflation is. Confronting crypto's environmental impact is unavoidably forcing us to ask the same questions around fiat. Will it continue to hold value from an energy perspective? I actually would say it is a feature, not a bug, to be tied directly to energy. And in the case of uh, Bitcoin, what's interesting is that it is pushing you to uh, move towards more renewables. 
and it's pushing uh, to use the lowest marginal cost of electricity. If you just, for instance, look at how much electricity is wasted, Bitcoin is maybe only using 1% of all the wasted electricity in the United States, a tiny small fraction of wasted electricity and trapped energy. Um, but what it's doing is starting to provide something that's very valuable, which is a, as I think Michael Saylor correctly says, a thermodynamically sound asset, just like gold. But what's different than gold is that it's digitally native. You know, eventually in a hundred years, you know, how do you want your reserve assets to look? You probably aren't going to want them to be based on something that's physical. You're going to want to be based on something that is actually cryptographically knowable. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Bitcoin, but there is a reason why you want your money to be tied to energy. The economy, simply, is a work machine fueled by countless transactions that drive it towards productivity and debt. These countless transactions grinding the gears of the machine are ultimately just human decisions about resources created by energy. You're abstracted away, and so you don't realize it, 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 that the financial system is meant to help you be able to make the right um, allocation choices of where energy should go. But when you distort it, you get all kinds of weird uh, outputs. You end up with giant debt bubbles. You end up with interest rates that are negative in Europe. It doesn't even make any sense. Uh, if someone said you can have a house in a year or you can have a house today, and they said, we will charge you less to take your house uh, in a year, uh, you know, that would make sense to you, right? Because there's a, some value to time. You want things now or you, um, and that has some value. But to have your money be negative means that um, the value of you postponing your savings or sorry, postponing your consumption is, is now negative. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so our overlay on the economy doesn't make any sense because we've lost the energetic principle that is so crucial to understanding how we should live our daily lives. Many media sources have spoken about the energy consumption of crypto production by way of analogies, commonly equating it to a small country's energy consumption for an entire year. Are these thought experiments worthwhile or mere poetic exaggerations? You can always find some way of sizing something that can make a point. But if you look at the total amount of electricity that we're using as a global civilization, how much is going into Bitcoin now? It's like 10 basis points. And that secures the network. And why is that a valuable use of energy versus something else? Because now you've created a way for you to have a cryptographically provable understanding of how you want uh, uh, an asset to be moved and used. And that's just different than what you could ever have before. And are you comparing apples and apples, say, to a crypto system to what it takes to maintain a fiat system? Huge amounts of uh, effort, depending on what you want to count as maintaining a fiat system. Um, so many layers of intermediaries and all the costs that are required there. Um, there's a reason there is trillions and trillions of dollars of market cap in the financial system. In fact, it's, it's something like... Uh, uh, consuming right now around eight and a half percent of GDP. To me, that's not evidence that we're efficient. That's actually evidence that we're inefficient. Financial system should, on average over time, is used much less than that. It's probably around four or five percent. 
So somehow our financial system is actually becoming more inefficient as a percentage of GDP. If you added up what it costs us every single year to have that inefficient financial system, not just in the US, but now do it globally, you would say, well, uh, I could understand why we want to spend energy to have a decentralized, secure, more accessible system that we could access. Maybe it should be Bitcoin, maybe it shouldn't. But you would want to tie it to energy, in my opinion. It's true that crypto mining comes with a significant cost of energy. But does this tell the whole story? The maintenance of the fiat system and its many layers cost significantly more, a cost which we haven't questioned until now. If you look at how much money there is as a percentage of the world assets, there's about $60 trillion of global M2, M2 being a broad measurement of money. And there's $700 trillion of assets in the world. And I think there's something like $400 trillion of net worth. Uh, and by the way, net worth is just stored up energy. Um, that's all it is. We've you know, figured out a way to store it all. Eventually, if you didn't do anything and keep um, preventing depreciation, it would end towards zero. So you constantly have to be putting more energy back into the system in order to maintain it. How do you know where you want to put it? And that's what money is for. When money is untethered from energy, our relationship to its value becomes abstracted. When we no longer have a clear energy index tied to currency, our use of it becomes distorted. And that's why we have a giant debt bubble, which we can probably never pay back. Um, and that's why there's, for instance, uh, whatever it is, $70 trillion of debt in the United States on a, on a you know, $20 trillion economy. And so we have to think about um, uh, what, how do we want the system to work in a way that keeps us making the right energy decisions and staying thermodynamically sound that's how you leave a better world. The way you have leave a better world is that you make the right choices today for the future generations. If you're not making the right choices, you're going to end up with a world that isn't the way it should be or as good as it could be. That's what's at stake when you um, don't make the right allocation decisions. And so we have to constantly be thinking, what is the way to put make that possible? And um, I think what crypto is showing is that there is a better way. And it's not just a little bit better, it's a lot better. And is that going to consume energy? Absolutely. Do you want to consume clean energy? Yes. Should you be afraid that it's consuming energy, especially given that we waste so much energy on so many different other things? Who's going to decide that you know having heated floors uh, that are always on or having um, your clock that's always running or whatever it might be uh, in so many different rooms and all you add it all up and the amount of electricity that we're wasting and energy we're wasting dwarfs anything that's going into building this new financial system. How do, who's, who should be making that call? Well, I think we should allow society to make that call and the market to make that call and determine that there's really value there. This point has to be hammered home when we talk about the environment. Everything costs energy. Crypto production is simply another cost in a constellation of industries, almost all of which operate on a far greater production, use, and waste of energy. Hey, look, it's a, it's a tiny fraction of it. I, we're, we spend more energy digging gold out of the ground. Um, you know, and I haven't yet to hear anyone say we shouldn't have gold. I think sometimes it's incorrectly thought of as on a per transaction basis and say, well, look how much money this is taking each time you do a transaction on the Bitcoin network. But the use of energy into the Bitcoin network is actually about maintaining the security of all of the assets on it. It's not about just processing a transaction. And there are 
certainly blockchains where you can um, have transactions done at a fractional cost. And that is a good thing. Um, what I think you're seeing in the case of Bitcoin is that it's building a reserve asset that um, you can base a system off of. But you're creating a way for you to now begin to understand the system differently. And so when you look at the scope of um, how much energy is being spent on it, you know, you're really talking about something that is so fractional and so marginal, even now, that it's not going to scale with the number of transactions. What it's going to scale with is with the value it represents. Shifting to the global lens, for years, the Chinese government has pushed back against the crypto industry. Early last month came the biggest pushback, as China's central bank shut down a major crypto firm and warned all institutions against providing virtual currency services. But could this actually be a positive? Globally, what you're talking about, um, uh, I think it was over 50% of the mining capacity was in China. And uh, then you had other um, uh, elements of activity related to Bitcoin and crypto that has been um, uh, basically uh, tightened by the government uh, to such extent that it's getting firms to leave. I think that's showing us something, which is what is the values of the government in China and how does that compare to values in other parts of the world? And obviously what's made America great over time and certainly um, many other countries is having an open society. And having an open ability to be able to make choices financially. And that gets to fundamentals of freedom of expression, um, the ability to have freedom in the political process. And, um, and that creates uh, freedom in markets and to make economic choices. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have regulation, but there's these fundamental principles. Uh, and that is something that crypto is fundamentally allowing. And um, so it wouldn't be surprising that um, that's not something all governments really like. And if you look at who allows it and who doesn't allow it, it really amazingly follows open societies versus more closed societies. While it's painful to be in a situation where um, a, you know, large countries, and in this case, uh, you know, one of the largest, um, has decided that you know, they're going to really tighten oversight on the other hand, um, I think it can actually fundamentally be a positive because it will um, underscore, first of all, what this community is about. And then secondly, it will allow uh, those activities to move to jurisdictions that are going to be more stable uh, to supporting it. There's great reasons why um, this will be successful in the long term. You're always going to have hiccups along the way. It's never going to be a straight line. It's always going to be about having to um, overcome whatever the next challenge is uh, in the process to getting to mainstream adoption, and which we you know, are always thinking about. What does mainstream adoption look like? How do you get there over time? And you know, that's always going to be tied to a political economy, uh, especially as you get larger and larger. And I think that's part of the debate around what energy represents. As a decision maker and opinion maker in the industry, Cascarilla holds a firmly contrarian thesis that crypto is actually better for the environment. 
this does seem a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, why is something that consumes energy good for the environment? Um, and I think it's because it forces out uses of energy that is higher cost. Um, and it actually provides, um, in some sense, a subsidy for the clean energy sources and trapped energy sources. So where is a common place that a lot of mining activity happens? Well, around renewables, around hydropower. Hydropower is always on as long as you have enough rain, yeah, right? And so it's always on, but people aren't always using electricity. Once electricity is created, it's very hard to store, even though Elon Musk is working on you know, you know, great battery technology, it's not very easy to store right now. So basically it gets produced and it has to get used or it gets wasted. Um, and Bitcoin mining um, can be wherever an energy source is. It doesn't need high um, uh, bandwidth. It just needs uh, energy. You can go to marginal uh, projects for on a renewable basis that could now become from marginal to profitable because there's another way of being able to use that energy, which otherwise would have been wasted. And so by some estimates, and of course, this is very hard to calculate, and it's constantly shifting, especially with the shifts and changes in China, 70% of the electricity usage in the, uh, in the Bitcoin network, it comes from, from renewables. Um, it's not easy to ascertain that, but that seems to be a pretty good estimate. And, um, and it, so it's actually pushing um, the, the industry to use lower cost yet renewables. And so I think that's actually a really positive over time, almost 2x more uh, um, renewable level uh, in what the Bitcoin um a network is using versus the other aspects of society. Closing off, I asked Cascarilla about the current trends of crypto companies going green and what he foresees for the future of crypto's energy sourcing and environmental impact. There's plenty of examples of firms talking about buying carbon offsets. There is a move to having tokenized carbon credits, which I think will be fantastic. Um, and that is an important way of saying, where do we want to get our energy from and how do you want to use the energy? And so moving towards being greener as an industry is around saying, where do you want to get your energy from? And of course, um, there's a lot that has to go into fully replacing fossil fuels because how do you maintain always on levels? You need to maintain some base load and you need to be able to do it in a, from highly dense forms of energy. Um, and so you're going to need to be able to purchase carbon offsets and you're going to have to come up with new ways of doing things and, um, and look at other types of renewables um, between you know, nuclear power and fusion and other things that could come along that can shift the energy makeup of what we're using as a society. And I can imagine, for instance, a world not too far from now where essentially you have satellites that are mining satellites um, and they're just purely using solar power. It's not crowding, you know, out anything on the surface of the planet. And it's able to be able to operate in an always-on fashion like that. So there is going to be a constant push uh, to push the limit because it's tying money to energy in a really clear way. And it's creating incentives to make sure that that is tied to the cheapest form of energy, which is renewables. This concludes the third and final episode in a podcast series we're running with Paxos. To access the transcript of this podcast, head on over to the Tearsheet website.